0: This is the Grow My Clinic podcast by Clinic Mastery, where we help you deliver amazing client experiences to grow your clinic. Well, welcome to another episode of the Grow My Clinic podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. Fantastic to be with you. And today we have a very special guest, uh, a friend of mine and someone who I've admired for a number of years now. Tristan White is joining us. Tristan, how are you today?
1: Fantastic, Jack. I'm rapt to be here and um,
0: excited to be on the podcast. Great. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. For those who haven't heard about Tristan before, uh, Tristan is the CEO and founder of The Physio Co, which uh, has been Australia's best place to work who knows how many times now. (laughs) Tristan, how many times have you won that award?
1: We've been on the list of Australia's 50 best places to work for nine consecutive years, Jack.
0: Amazing. That is that is an incredible feat. Uh, Tristan is the author of "Culture Is Everything," a book released uh, recently in 2017, I believe, um, which is now an Amazon bestseller and has become somewhat of a bible of sorts for uh, for clinic owners and non clinic owners alike. There's principles that apply across the spectrum. Uh, so Tristan is a physiotherapist by trade and now uh, leads the Physio Co from the front and is um, is really shaping workplaces that are based around culture. So. Tristan, please, share us a bit of your story. Uh, you've been a physio. When did you study? Where did you study? And what led you to starting the Co. as it is now?
1: Absolutely, Jack. Uh, so to start from the start, yes, I'm a physio. I studied at Melbourne Uni. And um, when Melbourne Uni is now a three-year um, doctor a physio course, um, it, was a, it was a four-year bachelor course when I did it. So I graduated in 2002, uh, which is a while back now. And um, I initially had my, uh, my eye on a career in private practice and, and sports physio was where I thought my career was headed. Um, I, I started my career in that direction very quickly, had a, had a bit of a challenge of head and heart, to be honest with you, mate, and that um, my head was telling me that um, I've made a start and I'm headed towards a private practice sports med career, and my heart uh, wasn't satisfied and, and didn't feel like it was, um, it was contributing to the world and, and doing something that I, that I loved. And so I had a very early pivot uh, before the term pivot was even popular. Uh, and, um, and I realised I really enjoyed and got great um, satisfaction in my professional career from working with older people. And so um, in just my second year out of uni, I started working at a, a small nursing home in, um, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And um, and there I fell in love with the opportunity of working with older people, and the entrepreneur in me saw an opportunity to to help a whole lot of elder, older people who were um were going to be needed in the coming decades, and um, the physio co was born from a um, early pivot to something that made my heart much happier in my physio career.
0: It's interesting. Um, might dig into that a little bit there, Tristan, around that epiphany of wanting to serve elderly folk. Uh, I wonder if there's a number of clinic owners who might be listening to this who end up in private practice um, with the ideal of seeing maybe sports patients or, you know, the, the glamorous CrossFit athletes and have a clinic that does that. Um, how did you come to that realisation and how did you um, reconcile that within yourself that to to serve a different clientele from what might be the pin-up of physiotherapy uh, was okay? Uh,
1: Jack, it's... Um so don't get me wrong. It was a it was a decision that I that I took very um, it was a very serious and challenging one and, and one that I I was uncomfortable telling anyone that I was working with older people for for some time. Um, uh, I knew very few of my mates realised I'd, I'd made a change from my private practice career because I'll I'll be honest with you. I was a twenty four year old recently graduated physio who told the world I was going to work in sports medicine, medicine and I was working in with older people in a nursing home, which is. Spectacularly less glass <laughs> than, um, than, than what most people had um, expected. So I was embarrassed. Um, but I tell you what, uh, I would go home from work and, and I would feel like I'd made a difference with the yeah. older people that, um, I was working with. And if you've read the Cultures Everything book, you, you, um, people will understand there's a story about George, who was an older bloke who was really important to me. Um, and then there's other stories like George's roommate, Les. Um, uh, marjorie down the corridor, just older people who was, I was able to serve as a physio and felt like I was contributing to their life. And when I compared that feeling in my second year as a physio versus the, the early part I spent in private practice, which just for so many people is a great career direction, for me it just didn't feel right. And I, I um, to be honest with Jack, I would go home from work and I would love the fact that I was growing as a person I would not like the fact that I felt confined by the uh, contribution to my client's life, and that's how I personally felt. Mm,
0: it's an interesting insight. And I guess the the progression of that is that you had to own that identity for yourself and then as your clinic to, uh, to recruit physios for aged care sure is not the uh, the easiest of tasks again and it's not seen as typically sexy but you've been able to recruit uh, what is now a, a gigantic team and maintain a culture that uh you know physios and uh, non-clinical staff alike
1: love coming to work how did you do that yeah i don't know mate uh <laughs> i joke i joke uh, but in all seriousness mate, i am a physio by profession by trade and i've been trying to figure this out as i go um there's one thing that I've. I'm now in my the physioco turned 14 um, in February of this year, so oh. that means I'll reach our 15th year at the physioco, which is still a long spell. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you. Um, the number one job of a business owner is to stay in business. Uh, <laughs> is my belief, Jack. You can't do anything great in the world unless you don't unless you stay in business. It's true,
0: absolutely true. Doors have got to stay open and profitable.
1: Yeah, all that, all that. Uh, but how do we do it? Jack, it's, it's taken me so long, but I think the more authentic I can be as a person and as a leader and as a physiotherapist and share what drives me and what's important to me and our team, then we can I honestly believe that in terms of culture, like attracts right, like. So say so that again, like attracts like. Yes. And people who are attracted to working in aged care will at least consider working with the physio co. If we um, share with them how much we are passionate about it. By the same token, um, it repels people who are not interested. And again, if we share the the purpose, the values, the vision of our aged care focused business, then we don't go attracting people who are just looking for not Justin, that's the wrong word, Jack, it's some um, who are looking for a different type of um, of physio or allied health job. So the answer to your question is be authentic what's so important as the owner, as the team, and share that publicly because it will help to attract the right people.
0: Mm, that's interesting. It's fascinating. And so I would imagine, though, you didn't, uh, you haven't learned a lot of these lessons from day one. It's been a gradual progression. Can you talk yep. us through the, the Culture Is Everything system? and then how you were able to communicate that with your team in the early days when it was clunky and you're still figuring it out yourself.
1: Yeah. Perhaps it still is clunky and still trying to figure it out, Jack. It's, uh, life is, a, is an experiment. There's no question about that. Right. Uh, but the four parts of the Culture is Everything system is, so it, to, to grow a services business based around building a strong culture, the four parts are discover the core is the first one, uh, document the future, is the second part. Execute relentlessly is the third step, and finally, it's show more love. Uh, and to a little bit more detail on those, discover the core is about understanding what is the core purpose of an organisation. What does it exist for? What who does it here to serve? And the core values. Uh, what are the behaviours that us as business owners and as team members uh, do sign up to um, to deliver a, a memorable experience based upon a set of behaviours that we all agree to. Let's discover the core, document the future is about getting the idea of where the practice or the clinic would like to go out of the owner or owner's head, sharing it on paper, sharing it with the team and also clients so together we can all be aligned as to where we're, where we're headed. Third is execute relentlessly. Jack, I can't say this um, any simpler than it's about doing the hard work over and over and mm-hmm. over again, um, which is uh, there's, there's no secret sauce. There's nothing works except the people in the team, that's the, the important message there. Sure. And lastly, show them the love. Mate, it's about being grateful and being um, showing gratitude to your clients, to your team members and uh, actively looking people in the eye and saying, thank you, I really appreciate the work you're doing uh, and being genuine in the way you, you go about doing things. So they're, they're the four steps of the, of the system. Okay. So let's talk about number two,
0: documenting the future. And I think uh, there'd be a lot of clinic owners out there who have grand visions and dreams, whether that's altruistic to you know help more people or it's financially based or, or motivated. How did you go with communicating? Because yours are very numbers-based or a lot of them are at least numbers-based. Was there any insecurity inside you? Or how do you communicate that with team without feeling uh, ashamed or embarrassed externalising it?
1: Yeah. So, Jack, there's, there's a vulnerability or a nervousness around... Being a leader and um, being uncomfortable is is what I've learned to be part of the job. And if I, if I'm not, if I'm not uncomfortable and, and doing things which are pushing the boundaries and making me feeling uh, somewhat challenged, then I'm probably not doing my job well enough. Um, but and it's easy for me to say that in year fifteen, um, when uh, way back when when I was starting the business and growing a team and started to share a vision. I was amazingly uncomfortable sharing that um, the vision. Uh, however, the, so how I got to the point where I, I decided that I needed to share a to describe a vision on paper and then share it with my team is was i would become amazingly frustrated because I could see where the physio code could potentially go to and where I wanted to, to go in terms of a, a larger business serving more people and employing more people because I'm very passionate about it, um, creating great employment for, for people. Um, but I just couldn't get the, the growth that I was looking for and it turned out how on earth could growth potentially happen if we don't share the direction and get people excited about where they could um where we could take this together and also how they can contribute because if people don't know where what the vision is how on earth will they ever help to grow a business so um does that answer
0: your question? Yeah, and it um, it probably speaks to, we, we build these things up in our head. Um, more often than not, clinic owners that we speak to through Clinic Mastery have these great visions and they might have documented them in a secret file buried in yes. their Google Drive, but when they get to that place where they feel com- confident and comfortable enough to share it with their team, create opportunities for the team to buy in, you look back two months, six months later and you think, that wasn't so hard to share after all. And the benefits far outweigh the the fears. I think often we work ourselves up to not sharing with our team at the expense of progress. And so can you then speak to um, either specifics in and around the physio code with your meeting flow and the importance of gathering as a team or more generally on why that's important for team culture?
1: Yes. So regarding... um just regarding vision, just a quick point on vision is that um, as a business owner and a and an entrepreneur, I always well, I used to think that vision came first. Um, vision was the, one of the first steps, and, and it, it's become very clear to me, uh, Jack. In my early pivot from my first thought about sports medicine to my um, direction into aged care, um, was about purpose. It's so about what's important to me as individual and as a professional and i wouldn't have been able to create a vision for the physio co into aged care if i didn't firstly get that purpose right in the first in the first place um it just wouldn't it wouldn't have worked so important for people to understand purpose and why or, or belief comes first uh, and then vision comes second uh regarding sharing the, the vision 100 with you jack i was nervous as all can be the first time we shared um, I shared the, the painted picture vision of where the PhysioCo would go from 2009 to 2012 with a small team, smallish team, about 20 people. I shared this vision um, that I was super excited about with my team and the response after 10, 15-minute presentation, silence. Crickets. Crickets. You got it. Uh, absolute silence. And that just reinforced the uncomfortableness that I'd had but I did the only thing that I that I um, I knew how, and that was ask why. Why the silence? Why? Why? What's happening? And the response from my team was, Tristan, we, we love it. We would love to be part of that, but we don't know how. We don't know what to do. We're not sure how we're going to move that direction. And once I understood that, that was perfectly fine because I didn't really know how we're going to do it either. Uh, <laughs> But as a team, uh, let's park those insecurities about the how, and let's focus on where we want to go to, and then, and then we work backwards from there to reverse engineer um, goals. So that's the uncomfortableness. And but secondly, Jack, I think a critical bit, and you talk about rhythm, and we've got a lot of rhythms and rituals at the physio co, which are part of, um, part of building part of building a strong culture. And as an example, um, we update our team every month, at least once a month, on our progress. Towards what we call the TPC tally, the PhysioCo tally. We're on a journey to deliver two million consultations to Australian seniors, um, and it's it's a crazy goal. It's a crazy idea, um, but we want to serve as many people as we can. And it's all well and good to have a big goal, but unless you track it and keep people up to date, up to date, so they can understand their contribution and contribute and align and talk about it and bring it to life then visions don't necessarily come to life. So keep people involved and up to date as to where your progress is, is an important lesson that that we've learned along the way.
0: Okay. And you're doing that in a large group setting or via email? Do you have regular weekly catch-ups?
1: Yeah, we do. So we have got a pretty significant meeting rhythm, um, Jack. And so we have daily huddles, um, which I know is part of the clinic mastery model. Um, so daily huddles, small teams come together for a short amount of time every um, every day, five to ten minutes or, or thereabouts. Um, we also have um, daily huddles, weekly meetings, monthly meetings, quarterly meetings and, uh, and annual annual meetings as well. So at many, many, many of those um, conversations, um, oh, sorry, meetings, uh, there are conversations happening around vision. Um, but the answer to your question we have something called TPC Talk, which is our monthly newsletter. It goes out by email. It that's where the update is on our um, that's where the update of our TPC tally goes out, and then our team leaders grab that information and they share it within their huddle. So it's not only received by um, in a document, but it's also reinforced in the conversations to keep the uh, to get the numbers alive.
0: Mm. That's fantastic. And it is really important that uh, we keep this regular flow and rhythm of meetings so that you can refresh and update your team on vision. I've often heard it said that a CEO's role is just a chief reminding officer. <laughs> and when you feel like you're sick and tired of banging on about this vision, you, you've said it ad nauseum. It's only just starting to sink in with your team. So that flow is uh, is certainly really important. Interesting. Can we can we rewind back to the start there and Mm. At that time when you've, you've crafted this painted picture vision, you've got a team of 20-ish, I'd imagine you're still str- um, straddling the clinician versus business owner um, chasm. How did you manage that between the mindset of wanting to serve patients on a one-to-one level versus having to lead your team and do the right thing by your team?
1: Mm. Really difficult um, transition for me, Jack. It was a, a real, um, I, I guess, another head versus heart type of um, conflict that I, that I was having. Um, and how I describe that is that I'm I'm a physiotherapist. Uh, I, I'm an allied health professional. And how uh, how dare I be bold enough to say that I could be, dare I say it, a CEO or an entrepreneur? That's mm-hmm. how I felt at the time. And looking back, the sooner I could have made that transition, the, the more successful I think we could have been professionally as a, as a team, and probably the more settled and effective I could have been as a as a professional as well and so I battled with this the straddling of the clinician or the practitioner and the business owner and I it got to a point where I think you may have been in your career Jack and I certainly have been I know many others have and that is doing both and doing neither of them very well sure uh, and so um so I decided to do something that I'm very very keen on and that's a trial and I trialed not um, treating for a period of time, Okay. and the, tri- the trial worked nicely, and uh, and I and I never looked back. And so I, I suggest that to people: if you if you want to try something, but you're not sure, or you're a bit nervous about, give it a go. Give it a go a, for a defined amount of time in a defined group of people, and um, and if it doesn't work out, nothing, nothing mentioned, nothing, nothing lost, but but um, you got to give it a shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, you certainly do, and so. Let's talk about the transition then to being a business owner. Um, practically, you uh, you now spend a lot of your time with experts that aren't clinical. You, you've got a team of finance and administration and HR. Yep. As someone who is first and foremost a health professional, I know you've, you've done extra study um, with your masters and things like that, but how do you now spend most of your days talking about things that aren't clinical and how do you wrestle that? Um, how do you reconcile
1: that? Yeah, uh, Jack... It's so fascinating because I am a physiotherapist. There's there's no part of me that doesn't um, feel like a physio, believe I'm a physio, and yet the activities that I do uh, on a day to day basis are so very different to what a mm-hmm. practicing clinical physio would be doing. And so I spend my life. Ta- um, I've got small children. In um, we've got little kids um, here at home, and. Uh, what do you do dad is a really important question and um and the answer is that is in in all seriousness i guess i speak to people i gather information i do my best to make good decisions um and then i check and gather feedback to uh to again refine those decisions to to keep the group of people moving forward and Mm -hmm. that's a pretty basic concept and there's many jobs that are like that um jack but um I think to reflect on what I learned as a physio student and, and in my, the early part of my career, the concept of an initial assessment, uh, identifying the main problems, coming up with a plan, executing the plan and um, and deciding whether it works or not and refining and refining and refining um, is not something that's changed uh, from being a practitioner to being a team leader to being a business owner to now being a leader of a team who we are about to hit 150 team members, uh, Mm -hmm. Jack, which is... um which is a decent size for, a, for an allied health business.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Decent size is uh, slightly understated, Tristan. But I think <laughs> the phrase you use there around being a team leader is an important distinction with all respect. I would assume you're not the smartest person in a lot of the rooms that you're in. You would have experts around and uh, even myself, my, my, uh, what we refer to as our client experience officers, our CEOs, which, are, which is what we call our receptionists, are far more skilled at their job as receptionists, but yet it's my job to lead them, not to be the smartest, but to help them uh, release them to do great work and, and make good decisions. And that uh, that is a similar role, whether it's a team of twelve
1: or a team of hundred and fifty. Essentially, am I right? Uh, entirely, Jack. Um, I, I'm a coach. There's no question that that's um, that I'm a coach from the sidelines, if, if you if you will. And I and I, I say that with with respect. Um, and I've got uh, members of my team who are much better clinicians than I ever was or will ever be, Um, much better managers of a small clinical team than I ever was or ever will be. Uh, And, of course, I've now got a finance manager, um, operations manager, uh, customer service team, um, marketing, HR, all all those things. And, And, Jack, there's no part of me that thinks I'm a specialist in any of those things i'm merely the person who hopefully can peer off into the future and see where we can take this team and secondly i can ask the right questions of the right people to uh to then gather the right solution to then move us to the way we're going and that's 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 about as simple as it as it gets for me mm. um there's something i learned a while back and i do my best to remember it, jack and that is that if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room mm. uh, and um, and, I, and I absolutely subscribe to that um, to that idea
0: yeah, definitely agree. that would resonate very strongly with us as well. Can you talking to some practical things around your team uh, as as uh, allied health professionals and owners of private practice clinics, we all want to create amazing experiences for our clients. We can do that one on one to an extent you've taken that by extension to develop amazing experiences for your team. To mm-hmm. deliver that to clients how do you uh, surprise and delight and show more love with your team
1: yeah jack it's there is um a short answer to that and that is to to be as human as humanly possible
0: mm, uh, profound simple
1: but profound yeah um and what i mean by that is uh jess in who is part of the exec team at the physio coach she's part of my um my team so i guess just to um, go backwards for one moment. Is that I'm, I'm a coach of a small executive team these days. There's, there's five of us in the exec team, and, and I lead that exec team. And then from there it cascades out to the exec team being coaches of their own their own teams, and um, to our wider group of TPCs who do the important job of helping our seniors um, senior clients stay mobile, safe, and happy. Um, but I think the um, I've forgotten the question, Jack. How do you show oh. love? How show love with your team? Ah, good, thank you. Um, show, show love is so you're right with the story I was going to say about Jessie. My team is that her sixth TPC anniversary happened two weeks ago. She has been a member of the physio co team for six years, and we've got a rhythm of, of the way we communicate around anniversary. We celebrate at every possible opportunity. Um, however, it was I know Jess starts work early, as do I. And so I called her at 7.45 in, in the morning on her 6th anniversary. I said, Jess, how's it going? Uh, and how can I help you out with By the way, I think today is a pretty important day, isn't it? And, um, uh, and she said, yeah, it is. It's my 6th TPC anniversary. I said, that's, that's uh, exactly the reason I'm calling you for. So I, I wanted to wish you a, a, um, a happy anniversary and thanks for being part of the team. And those little things like that go a long, long way to um to show love to, to people jack so um don't forget to smile say thanks um systemize things like anniversaries um but do it with uh with in, a, in the most human way you possibly can
0: mm. um i've heard you speak previously uh for us at clinic mastery and you said to systemise and humanize um can you speak to us around sending things in the post or in the mail to land at people's homes and their families and why that's important
1: Sure, Ken. Uh, Jack, we we've spend our lives online with um, electronic communication, emails, uh, SMSs, Slack, Zoom, you name it. Uh, we, we do it all. Um, and all those things, as I hold up my smartphone right here, they're all tucked away um, in a in a device that the only person that ever sees them is the team member. And they may scan them very, very quickly or they may hover over them for a moment, but they're they're fleeting images that do um, do pass by our our eyes and our minds. On the flip side, something that lands in your post office box um, or in your mailbox at home gets opened up in an envelope, ends up on the coffee table or on the fridge, has a whole much longer shelf life um, Mm. than an email sort of thing. It's also more memorable. And so I'm a big fan of um of sending personalised handwritten cards to people on their birthdays, uh, on the anniversaries of working with the Co. And also one of my one of my jobs for today, uh, Jack, is um, on my top five list of priorities, is to draft a letter which will go to the um the mailboxes of every member of the Co family, which will be wow. a brief update from me. And it will it will go out within the next um, few days as a happy Easter message from the CEO, but also an update of what's going on, and it will land um, with a small, chocky gift for, uh, for Easter wow. to say, thanks so much for being a member of the PhysioCo family. Here's where we're up to. Here's the way you're contributing. Love your work. Thanks so much, and um, have an awesome Easter.
0: Mm, it's amazing. And I think um, what you stated previously is that the importance of that landing in the letterbox is it's not just the clinician who receives it and, and that lasts for a little bit of time, but the family Gets guess to exactly. see that the spouse or the partner, the kids, and that work isn't something that takes away from the family, but rather work is something that helps create a space that they can have a really functional family. So that's fantastic. And I know there's many examples in the book of how you show more love uh, across your team. So I'd certainly recommend that listeners check that out in the book. You mentioned there very quickly, and I want to lean into this a bit more around your top five uh, things to do for the day. Can we shift gears and, and put on your business owner hat here now and let's talk about productivity and getting things done. You've got a, a large team of 150, but you're the coach of your small exec team. How do you function as an entrepreneur and prioritise what's urgent,
1: what's important? How do you make sure you're doing the most important things in your day? Jack, what I do is I'm a I'm not Some people would say I'm very organized and very planned, and I would say I've still got a long, long way to go on what <laughs> I, I can get to on that. Uh, but something I am committed to, and we do share it as an exec team or as a support team at PhysioCo, every single day we have a daily huddle at 10.05, and each member of our team, it's about half a dozen of us who attend that call every day, um, share our top three priorities for the day. And what they are is if today gets completely derailed and you get a thousand calls or something goes wrong or the like and you're not sure where you're up to, there's still a top three list of the most important things you'll get done and you'll focus on the first one first, then get that done, then move on to the second and then move on to the third. And it it just means... That we are um, taking time to plan what's important, decide what we're going to get done, and then focus on doing those small but important things, which will move the physio code forward to where it needs to go, as opposed to just running on a treadmill of, of dealing with the inbox that, um, that continually fills up, even as soon as you mm-hmm. send a message, there's a few more. And so um, a really deciding what your priorities are and, and then working through them is um, is something I'm very committed to. And as I reach to my left, I pick up um, my productivity planner, which is a little journal that I use every single day, and it helps me to plan the important tasks of the week and then the important tasks of the day. And at the end of every day, it tells says, hey, Tristan, let's rate yourself out of 10 mm-hmm. as to how productive you were and, uh, and what worked and what didn't work, and then let's do it all again tomorrow. Mm. And so there's a, uh, a continuous improvement process that enables me to um, to review what I'm doing and how I can get better and more effective over time.
0: Mm, I love it. So I think a couple of key lessons there is to share it with your team as well. Otherwise, we get stuck in the endless to-do lists or inboxes, but when you've communicated that with the team, there's an inherent accountability involved. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. How else do you manage your life what do you do now as as the uh the founder and ceo of a large organization that you wish you had done or had started previously and that might be productivity around work or managing your family and home life what do you do now that you wish you'd started years
1: ago uh what do i know um i reckon jack one thing that's it's served me really well over a a long period and i've taken it to the extreme these days um and i'll get to that but, um, but spending some time outside the clinic or outside the office and having a, a work environment that involves engaging with your team, being a, a leader of a team and coaching from on the court, if you will, um, but then getting out of, out of the office, out of the clinic uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, it allows me respite to think and have a clearer mind and be more effective and productive because I'm out of the way and there's less distractions. And two, to get the hell out of the way of my team and let them get on with doing the job because um, as much as, as clinic owners and business owners, we like to add value. Uh, and there comes a time when you need to realise that the value you're adding is only valuable to your own ego and it's not necessarily valuable to, uh, to everyone that's, uh, that's continually uh, getting, uh, dare I say, feedback um, from, from the boss who could really set the task clearly and then get out of the way and allow people to, um, to, to achieve their, um, their, own, their own job. So the answer, Jack, is to work from home um, or out of the office from a, for at least a day a week is something I'd love. I wish I'd started sooner. Um, not to be in, to abdicate my responsibility, but to create the space to um, to actually be even more effective.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. Uh, I found that uh, when I get out of the way and work remotely from a cafe or from home that I get more done. Your headspace is clearer, you're in a different stimulating environment and your team get more done. So they don't feel like that the boss is watching over their shoulder. They can get on it and do the great work that they've been hired to do. So that's uh, that's really interesting. Tristan, we're really thankful for your time and for what you've contributed to the physio profession and allied health in general uh, around leading teams uh, with culture and making sure that uh, that team experience really is the the framework to deliver amazing client experiences. If people want to find out more about you or about your book, where should they head?
1: Yeah, the best place is to head over to my home on the web, Jack, which is tristanwhite.com.au. Uh, it's the best place to find a whole few hundred blog posts about uh, about leading a team. Um, and you can download a free chapter of that book that we've mentioned once or twice and grab yourself a copy if you're interested.
0: Brilliant. Highly recommended. Uh, That book is uh, one of my top five all time reads. Uh, Tristan, thank you personally for uh, the input you've had uh, from afar over the years. And I've really enjoyed this chat. And if uh, listeners, if you'd like to learn anything more, you can check out the show notes at www.clinicmastery.com forward slash podcast. All the show notes will be there. The timeline will be there. And if you're serious about taking your clinic to the next level, you can uh, enrol in our Grow My Clinic free online course there which will help you grow your clinic. Tristan, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Jack. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for listening on. We'll be with you another episode really soon. This is the Grow My Clinic podcast by Clinic Mastery where we help you deliver amazing client experiences to grow your clinic.